Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast. This is a show where we chat with experts who help us get better at helping the person with the problem. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Morse. Sarah is a registered nurse and director of Unchained Solutions. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Chris. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And we've had a couple of technical hiccups trying to get this rolling this morning, but we're, we're good to go now, I think. Well, fingers crossed. Sarah, I always love to ask people, why are you interested in the art side of healthcare? Why are you interested in the human side? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the human side of, of healthcare is really where we, all, where we all come from. You know, nobody ever started a nursing degree or a physiotherapy degree. I'm like, yes, I'd love to do a great risk assessment, you know. But, you know, we all, we all started from that place of like, I want to do this because I care for people. Uh, and what I'm passionate about is helping nurses continue to care throughout their career because I think, you know, you can come in all fresh faces and new grad and wanting to care and wanting to do the best thing. And it's very, very easy to kind of get those, the corners bumped off you, I guess, and become a bit cynical, a bit burnt out, a bit, lose a bit of that empathy. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, in physiotherapy, at least there's, there's quite a large number of people who end up leaving the profession. I think kind of between that like three and seven year mark, is that similar in nursing? Yes, definitely. I think the stats of, of some graduate dropout up until five years, I don't have them in front of me, but they're quite alarming. About up to about 50%, I think, dropout before the five year mark. Mm, interesting. That is a conversation for another day, I think, because one of the things that you're really, really excited about at the moment, well, excited is maybe the wrong word, passionate about is addressing modern slavery. Uh, and yeah, modern slavery and healthcare. And modern slavery is potentially a term that not a whole lot of people uh, have heard of or know, or if they've heard of it, don't know that much about, like myself here in New Zealand. What is modern slavery and how does it, how does it apply to the healthcare context? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the definition that we use comes from Unseen UK. It's an organisation working with survivors of modern slavery. Uh, and they define modern slavery as the exploitation of people for the purpose of financial gain. So we're looking at exploitation of people, that's that's the most important thing, for financial gain. And so when we're looking at modern slavery globally, uh, there's more than 40 million people who are currently in situations of modern slavery. And they range from forced labour to sex trafficking to debt bondage, child labour, and then a whole range of other things that come in, in that kind of spectrum. Yeah. So it's not your boss being a little bit of a dick to you and asking you to stay late. That's right. And I think that's important to, to know because, you know, we're like at the moment in Australia, you know, nurses and doctors and, and uh, health professionals are, you know, really, really working hard. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about unpaid overtime, particularly for junior doctors, you know, high rates of burnout in, in nurses and, and the medical profession. So, you know, I think it is important to delineate that there is 
you know, recognize that the health profession is getting a hammering at the moment and we want to, we want to express compassion and concern for that definitely. But there is a difference between that and modern slavery and, you know, modern slavery really is looking at the exploitation of people and selling the buying and selling of people for somebody else's gain. So. Yeah. And how does, so how does that apply to the healthcare context? Like why, why is that something that we as healthcare providers should be, should be thinking about other than the fact that it's really not cool? Yeah, you're right. It really isn't cool. That's, that's the first thing is that, you know, as people who care for people, this is a humanitarian issue. This is something that's affecting people on a day-to-day basis. And we know the impact of COVID is increasing those numbers. Uh, but here in Australia, there's very little research, but the, the sort of general stats from the Global, global Slavery Index say that there's at least 15,000 people in positions of slavery here in Australia. Wow. So the way that that impacts on health is that between 60 and 80% of those have had some contact with, with health professionals. But health professionals are untrained. They don't even know about modern slavery. As you said, it's a term that people are only just starting to hear about. Here in Australia, we have the Modern Slavery Act, so it's starting to get a little bit more known. Uh, but amongst health professionals, I think it's a, a very uh, little known area. So even if somebody does come into the emergency department presenting with, with a set of symptoms, they may not necessarily be recognised or probably won't be recognised as a survivor of, of modern slavery. And as healthcare providers, what are some of the symptoms that we should be looking out for if we have someone that's coming in that we suspect might be a, a victim of modern slavery? Yeah. So the first thing is, is, is to have our own awareness, you know, for, for training and education to be done with health professionals to know, you know, to, to even start to think about what we're, you know, what we might be looking for. So here in Australia, we use an HD assessment tool. Do you have that in, in New Zealand? An A to G assessment tool for just for general general patients. That's a good question. Is that a is that a nursing specific one? Yeah, it's a, maybe it's a nursing or a maybe Pot- potentially. I haven't worked in the public health system for about ten years, so right. if you could if you could refresh my memory on it. So, well, we use the A to G assessment for for anyone who's in a state of clinical deterioration, or just for somebody who's coming into an emergency department. So. That, that's just a basic tool that we're using. So I've adapted that to, to have a look at some modern slavery indicators. So when we're thinking about uh, when somebody comes into emergency, we're looking for a cluster of symptoms. So there's not you know, one particular thing that, that would necessarily raise the red flag, but more of a cluster. So we're looking at things like their appearance. So you know, are they disheveled or unwashed? We know often people in positions of modern slavery will be, for example, living on a farm. They might be living in the shed or sleeping with the dogs or things like that. So they they may come in. Their personal hygiene might be you know really really poor. You know, they may have an acute injury, which is a direct result of their slavery. Like for example, somebody working on a construction site that hasn't been given the proper um, PPE to use on the construction site. You know, they may have fallen and uh, come in with a broken arm directly from their employer. But in the process of that, we notice too, they might have old bruises or, you know, maybe some, some scars or other things on their body that will kind of, you know, alert us that, you know, they have perhaps potentially been neglected or abused for a long time. Looking at um, particular types of behavior, like someone who's very scared or very avoidant, you know, their body language is, is avoiding eye contact. But again, you know, a lot of these, these symptoms are similar to what you would see in someone who's coming from 
an abuse, a domestic abuse situation, you know, so there's a lot of um, commonalities as well. But often with somebody who's in a position of modern slavery, they'll be controlled by someone. So they'll come in with someone who identifies as a, a friend or a carer. Uh, but you'll notice that the patient is quite scared of that of that friend. They're not they're not really wanting to engage. Often they have very very poor levels of English, and so the the carer has to interpret for them. And not having appropriate documentation is another one. So not having a Medicare card or any kind of Australian identification, which shows, or even having a passport with them to show you know what their actual name is or their identity. Things like that that start to build a picture. So we're looking for a whole picture of somebody who is in not only a situation of abuse. But they're starting to ask those questions, you know, is there something else going on here? Are they being controlled by somebody? And, and, you know, what kind of questions do we need to ask, you know, around that as well? So there's a whole, you know, it's a, quite a complex scenario of, well, signs and symptoms that we've been looking for to kind of put that story together. Definitely. And like, if, if it, that is something that we suspect like where do we where do we go from there? Like are there are there some questions that we should be asking the person that's coming to see us to try and confirm that? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. In a lot of the literature, we we're talking about a trauma informed response. So in the same way that uh, somebody who is a a survivor of domestic violence. Uh, we need to be very, very careful not to re-traumatize the person and not to put them in at greater risk. So in the example that I that I gave, when, when they have somebody who might be with them and controlling them, very important, first of all, not to start digging around asking those questions with that controlling person there. So there's a study being done at the moment through Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, and they're looking at developing a tool that health professionals can use to kind of, you know, start to ask those questions. But one of the things is to try and get the patient by themselves so sort of to say you know oh do you need to go to the toilet or you know or, or send the carer away you know can you go and get a cup of coffee or something like that and try and get the patient in a place where they might be able to answer a few more of those questions and oftentimes when you do remove the carer then the, the uh, patient will want to be sort of quickly trying to tell you you know what their situation is but sometimes they don't even know you know that they're in such um such a dire situation they, they may not even know what city they're in uh, you know, if they've come, if they have actually been trafficked, many times the people who have been trafficked, they don't even know what city they're in. Uh, they don't speak the language. They, they don't really have a concept of, of what has actually happened to them. So, yeah, so, but, but obviously having trained staff who are able to find their way around those questions is, is of critical importance. And I think the thing is to remember not that we, that uh, disclosure isn't necessarily the point of the engagement because that person you know, they may need to go back to that situation, but we need to empower them with the right sort of resources and information so that if they do get to a point that they that they want to ask for help, that they can actually reach out. So what, what resources do you suggest, especially for the people that haven't had training in this area, if they're, if they're suspecting that something like this is going on? Obviously, they want to get trained. Eventually, what are you trained and upskilled? But if someone came in tomorrow and no one, or this person hadn't had any training in it, how could how can they help someone that they suspect might be in this situation? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things. So there's an AFP hotline, which I can send you the number later. I don't actually have mm. it with me, but there's an AFP hotline, Australian Federal Police, which is specifically dealing with with human trafficking and modern slavery. 
So, so that would be the first port of call for a health professional. And obviously to do that in, in conjunction with the team. So, you know, to sort of talk to a manager, talk to a social worker, you know, and, and make that, you don't, you don't want every, you know, every nurse to suddenly start suspecting monoslavery and to be calling the Australian Federal Police. But no, I have heard of situations where uh, staff were appropriately trained. They called the AFP. They sent out, you know, a female representative straight away to the um, emergency department. Uh, and they were actually then able to come and sensitively deal with with that issue. So, you know, that's a that's a great success story. So, you know, to call that hotline just with some concerns and there's trained professionals there that can help kind of unpack that a little bit. And then also here in Australia, we've got the Red Cross and the Salvation Army are also sort of first points of call in terms of providing emergency accommodation uh, and having caseworkers who are able to, you know, understand those issues more. So they would be sort of the first first places that somebody could call if they were, you know, had an idea that somebody might be in that position. But obviously it's very, very sensitive. And for example, in a, in the case of a, a physiotherapy appointment, for example, you might only be with them for uh, half an hour, an hour or something like that. So again, you know, sort of acknowledging that a disclosure isn't necessarily the aim of the engagement, but to empower the person with the resources if they need it. So being able to give them a phone number or, you know, offer them assistance in that way so that they can take up that. They can choose the time that they, you know, it might be that time. They might say, yes, yes, I, I really need help right now. But they might also, there might be children involved. They might need to, you know, work out a way that's safer for them to exit that situation. Yeah, so it's it's kind of understanding the the context and and offering support, but not trying to force them into doing something that they're not ready to at at the moment. Yeah, that's right. I guess in all situations, you know, if somebody if we suspect that somebody is in immediate danger, or that you know they put cause an immediate they they pose an immediate danger to someone else, then uh, to call triple zero. I know I'm very Australian focused. Yeah, triple one here in New Zealand. <laughs> triple one, child, triple one in New Zealand. But yeah, to, to call the police and get the police involved if it was a, a situation of, you know, immediate danger to the person or to, to other people as well. Yeah. And I, I guess kind of what we're talking about here as well is very similar to a lot of other health concepts for people as well as like that we're, we give people support to take on when they're ready unless there's an imminent threat, which in that case we, we intervene. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So it's about empowering the person as well. Yeah. And Sarah, I mean, do you have some advice around empowering the person too, other than just kind of passing them a, passing them a number on the, on the way out that their carer doesn't see? How might you how might you think about empowering someone, or how might you go about empowering someone in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it is it's very complex and very tricky. And you know, there's a, like I said, there's a lot of correlations between domestic violence and somebody in this kind of position of modern slavery. You had a little person there. That's a regular occurrence at our house as well. Yeah. So so, but being able to do what you can while while you have them there. So trying to work out, you know. Is there a way that you can separate them from the carer? Is there a way, you know, that you can get them to disclose that information? You know, asking asking the patient, what do you want to do? Do you want me to, to act on this now? You know, I've got a friend who who's an emergency doc in a country town here in Australia and, you know, she is sometimes physically stood between, you know, an abuser and a, and a patient and said, no, you can't see them. You know, she's requested that you don't come in and, you know, and they call the police and they get 
you know, that person physically removed from, from that environment. So, you know, in the same way, like you're asking the patient, what do you want to do now? Like, is this something that I can help you with now? Or, you know, trying to get them to come back for another appointment. If it's, you know, in the, in the context of a, a clinic or, you know, a community visit or something like that, trying to get them to commit to come back, you know, well, how about, you know, do you want to just come back uh, tomorrow or next week? And, and we can talk about it more again, you know, what, you know, sort of empowering the patient as much as you can to to take control of their situation because the last thing that we want to do is to re-traumatize someone through our efforts to try and help them and i have seen that a little bit as well so yeah yeah and and i guess if you're if you're trying to force someone into doing something they're not ready to do there's the a massive potential for re-traumatization there and is it also sarah laying out some potential options for that person of hey here's some ways that this might this might be able to go, especially if it's if it's someone who doesn't doesn't really have that much understanding of even where they are. They yeah. may not they may not be able to see ways out. So yeah, now, a resource brochure that that we can actually give to the patient, which sort of is a, a referral pathway. So you know, do we need to call the police? Yes or no? And then you know, should we call the the AFP Salvation Army Red Cross? So kind of the three you know first ports of call. But then to you know to explain you know the at least here in Australia, you know, the Salvation Army and Red Cross, they can find your emergency combination. You know, we can help you get a passport. We can help get your papers sorted. Because a lot of these people live under fear as well. You know, they've been told that, you know, if you get found out, the police will arrest you because you're illegal and all that kind of thing. So, you know, explaining to them, you know, we can, if we go through the right channels, you know, if we go through the Red Cross and Salvation Army, we can actually get you some help. In the case of forced marriage, which is another form of modern slavery here in Australia, there's, there's some specific resources for people who are in a situation of forced marriage. And and that's through an organisation called Mind Loose. And they have some very good resources as well that we could that we could give someone. So it's really about you know, getting a good feel for their for their situation and then, yeah, giving them the tools to empower them. So, yeah, we do have that referral pathway uh, tool that we could give them and sort of walk them through. And, you know, we can provide emergency accommodation for you if you need. We um, can get a caseworker involved to help you with your papers and all that kind of thing, just to really empower them with the choices of what, you know, what they do want to do. Mm. Thank you for that, Sarah. If people are interested or if people want to upskill in in this area around understanding modern slavery and how to some of the best ways to intervene beyond obviously listening to this podcast where where should they go to check you check you out and and to kind of start to upskill in that area yeah so i've just written an e-learning package on modern slavery and healthcare and that's both looking at it from the perspective of us as health professionals and caring for people, as we've been talking about, but also looking at it, at it from the perspective of the modern slavery that exists in our health supply chains as well. So we know that a lot of our medical supply chains have people in forced labour. So particularly in, for example, making, there's been a lot of work done in, in factories in Malaysia, identifying are people who are really in, in quite terrible situations of slavery, who are making our rubber gloves. We know that Surgical instruments are being made by children in Pakistan. Anything that's cotton, we know that cotton is a high-risk area coming out of, you know, slaves picking cotton in Uzbekistan and Turkey through to the, the factories in Bangladesh and India that are processing the cotton. So so we're looking at a much broader picture there as well. So the e-learning package uh, covers all of that, and that's on our website, which is um, www.unchainedsolutions.com.au. 
and not ready yet, but it will be soon ready, available for purchase. But there's a couple of um, just early learning modules that are already available for purchase that that are already up there if people go there today. Awesome. And some ideas around potentially more uh, products that are more mind-blanking. The the word that's coming to mind, wholesome for the world. Ethical, maybe? Yeah, ethical. That's the one. Sustainable. (laughs) Yeah, great. Sarah, and if people want to reach out and connect with you individually, is is there a good place for them to do that as well? Yeah, they can find me. They can find me on LinkedIn, or they can just go to my website as well and and reach out and get in touch with us there as well. So our website has a whole range of resources available to for helping people to understand modern slavery. Here in Australia, we're uh, helping healthcare companies and Australian companies in general comply with the Modern Slavery Act, and I know there's people campaigning for that over there in New Zealand. So hopefully you'll have a one say Ripper Act there too, which I think once you legislate something, it really helps to bring issues like this to the public forum and helps, you know, raise the urgency and the awareness of that for companies as well. So hopefully you're not too far off there in New Zealand either. Yeah, I was doing a bit of research in, in preparation for our chat and it looks like there's there's talk about it at the moment and it's that they're kind of drafting, hopefully drafting something up. So Sarah, if we tomorrow walk out of here after listening to this, what should we be doing practically? What's one thing that we should practically do tomorrow? I think the main thing is awareness. You know, when we started this conversation, you started by saying, you know, you don't really know much about London slavery, haven't heard much about it. And I think, so the main thing is awareness and even, you know, to start communicating with our colleagues, you know, maybe running an in-service or, you know, allowing yeah our colleagues to find out about it as well so that we we are sort of starting to open our eyes and ears and you know look out for these people in a in a health context but also start to understand how we as as health consumers and and people as part of the health system can actually impact on our health supply chains as well so you know if enough people for example i heard a group of nurses that was in england but who, who just put pressure on the administration to get ethical source uniforms and then the whole of the i think it was in in Scotland, actually. And the whole public health system now has has ethically sourced uniforms. So, you know, if you think about how many uniforms we have as health professionals, you know, that that's an extraordinary impact just on changing that one product. And they've actually gone back and done a whole bunch of research and looking at the impact on the factories and the people in the supply chains. And they found that the factories that are supplying to the NHS has actually really improved the working conditions for the people in those factories. So, you know, that, that kind of large-scale social impact, it does actually work. Yeah, so to, to raise awareness both in our local health context um, but then also looking at it globally and what we can do to impact on global supply chains as well. Mm, yeah, and that's, that, that's amazing, amazing research as well, actually, that one, little dis- well, one decision can have such a, a flow-on effect as well and, and that's not something that we particularly think a lot about, I don't think, in our day-to-day practice. So thank you for bringing that to our awareness alongside bringing what we need to look out for if someone is in front of us who may have previously slipped through the cracks if we hadn't been hadn't had the thought of modern slavery in our in our minds. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, and just to remember, like we started off saying, you know, that we're here to help people. And so you know, the more that we have our eyes open, the more we might be able to help some of these people in in these kind of positions of modern slavery. Mm. 
It's a beautiful quote to end on, I think, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. That is a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.